right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you are here. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors, and it's a joy to be celebrating this Christmas season with you as a church this year, a good part of our year. We've been taking some time to study this the King Jesus Gospel, walking through the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the things that Jesus taught and did, showing us and demonstrating and revealing to us what the Gospel is all about. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. So if you have a copy of Scripture, join me there. If you want to follow along digitally, you can scan the QR code on the screen and you can follow along with us. We've been looking this year the King Jesus Gospel. What does it mean? To give our whole lives to Jesus. What, is, what does it mean for him to be king? What does it mean for us to give him our allegiance, our faith, our fidelity, our loyal trust? What does it mean to give him our whole heart and life and our surrendered life to him? Because he calls us and invites us to follow him. And to be honest, this Christmas season, if your home is anything like mine, you're having to wrestle the priority of the kingdom of God with your own family Christmas traditions. Christmas is on Sunday morning this year. It's on Sunday. And we as the people of God are going to come and gather here Christmas morning 9 a.m., 10.45 a.m., and if your family's like mine, you're having to have some conversations as to which is more important, gathering and worshiping God, who we say is the reason for the season, or to enjoy our uninterrupted family traditions on a Christmas morning and give lip service to Jesus as the reason for the season. There is a tension there, and it's not that our family traditions are wrong or bad or evil or anything. I, I think they're wonderful. I think they can be used in God-honoring ways, but I think the question has to be, where is our allegiance? Where is our heart? Where is our fidelity? What is it in and what is it to? And I think there's a wrestle with us, and I, I want to encourage you uh, to wrestle that out. And if you find yourself having to justify your decision, you might be making the wrong decision. I know that sounds kind of harsh, but the kingdom of Jesus, one of the things that we've discovered as we've walked through the, the King Jesus gospel is that the King Jesus gospel upsets our cultural sensibilities a little bit in so many different ways. It upsets the apple cart of our cultural understanding and often preference. And it stands sometimes in opposition of the things that we find most comfortable and we have yet to really give thought to. As it looks like following Jesus. And here we are in Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus is going to share a parable that links into a challenge that he made in the previous chapter. Starting in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 20. Jesus tells this story. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is like this landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage, and he sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them what was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard at noon, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. 
Now, at five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why, why haven't you been working today? They replied, well, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came uh, to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they noticed their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, yet you paid them as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Cue the violins. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last workers the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those, Jesus said, who are last will now be first then. And those who are first will be last Jesus is telling this story and it's kind of upsetting a little bit because at the end of the day, he goes and pays those what he agreed to pay them. But the attitude of those who were hired first ended up getting sour as the day went on. And Jesus was illustrating some really, really important things. We talked last week about how there is a greedy Grinch that can grow inside all of us. How in us we can have this greed and, and greed, to be honest, is a form of idolatry. Just ask Jesus. In fact, in, earlier in the Gospels, Jesus says you can serve God or you can serve money, but you can't serve both. There's one or the other. Either you are going to prioritize the kingdom of God or you are going to prioritize the materialism and your own comforts. There is no other God but one. You shall have no other God beside him. James K.A. Smith, an author and uh, Bible teacher, says this. He says, our idolatries are less like conscious decisions to believe a falsehood. And they're more like learned dispositions to hope in what will disappoint Idolatries are those things that we give our affection to at a higher rate than we give to God. Where we place our hope, our love, our loyalty, our allegiance in something that will ultimately disappoint us. That will ultimately leave us feeling less flourishing, less satisfied. We said last week that greed is the manifestation of the spirit of fear in our lives. That greed is an attitude of entitlement and arrogance. 
We, we saw that last week that fear uh, was this idea that I won't have enough. I won't be taken care of. I, I won't, uh, if I'm not careful, somebody more powerful is going to come and take advantage of me. And so if I'm not looking out for number one, no one's looking out for number one. And at the end of the day, underneath the greed is actually a spirit of fear. Spirit of fear is a, a prophesying spirit. The spirit of fear wants to speak and whisper to you lies that gets you to believe in your mind and your imagination to imagine a world in which God's power is not relevant, his presence is absent from your life, and he doesn't love you and want to do good for you. This is what fear tries to do. And in the realm of financial things, material things, this greed manifests as a spirit of fear uh, because we're afraid we won't have enough and we get defensive about our money. We get defensive about those things. We, we start hoarding our things. And now, hear me really, really clear. There is a difference between being frugal and being fearful. Being frugal is one of those things where we're just not going to let anything go to waste. Being fearful says, I need to hold on to it. Don't get rid of it. Don't lose it because I might need it one day. Well, do you know when you'll need it? Well, no. Do you know what you're going to use it for? Well, no, but I don't want to need it and not have it. Thus, your garages cannot handle your cars because they are handling your fear that has materialized in the form of hoarding. Don't elbow your spouse. It's not going to be helpful for you later on. Come on. I'm preaching really good, and I'm only a few minutes in. Some of you are like, garage sales now. This is what the spirit of fear does in the form of greed in our lives. But not only does greed show up in fear, we talked about that mainly last week, but in today's passage, you begin to see that greed shows up in the attitude of entitlement, in the attitude of arrogance, that I'm, what I have is mine, I deserved it, and I'm owed even more. It creates this sense of comparison. I think it's important that we would check our hearts in this subject. And one of the best ways to check your heart as it relates to greed is how do you respond when people talk about money? Do you respond in a way, well, like they don't deserve that. They have more than what they need and, and I'm, I'm des- I deserve that and I, I think this. Or maybe when somebody gives you a compliment and says, hey, man, I really like, like your car. Oh, this old thing? <laughs> it's, Gets me from A to B. It's not really anything at all. And we put on a false sense of humility. You know what that is? Arrogance. Rather than recognizing that what you have is a gift from God and giving him praise for it, you become uncomfortable around it and it shows you that somewhere along the way you're living influenced by a sense of arrogance and entitlement. How do you respond in those moments? Can you take a compliment from others? Can you take help from other people? If you can't take help and you can't receive a compliment or receive a gift from someone else, you're living with a sense of arrogance and entitlement that is influenced and it grows into greed in your heart, grows into greed in your life. Can you celebrate with someone else when they have good fortune, when they receive a blessing, when they get a raise at work? 
Can you celebrate with them or somewhere inside do you start judging and, and comparing what they did, how long they've been there, how much work they do compared to what you feel like you do and what you're owed and who you are? This was the problem in this parable. The landowner owns it all. And had an agreement with them to come work in the fields. You, you don't have an opportunity. Come, I'm giving you an opportunity. I'll pay you at the end of the day a full day's wage. And then when he started to be generous to others, they started growing entitled, thinking surely they are owed more. What is that? That's an attitude of greed that begins to grow in our hearts. Friends, I want you to understand this. Everything is a gift from God. James says every good and perfect gift comes from a God. It comes from above, the father of, of love and light. Every gift, everything is a gift and every gift requires stewardship. And if we don't handle it God's way, it will sour your soul. I'm not just talking financial things, although that is kind of the realm in which we're looking at today. Everything is a gift from God. Your family is a gift from God. Your relationships are, are, can be a gift from God. Right? Every good thing, your, your, your church is a gift from God. Like, like, the community that you live in is a gift from God. The landowner is the one who owned everything in the parable. And we're not owed any of it. The landowner in the parable didn't have to invite people into the vineyard, but he did. When we get to the recognition and we start to begin understand that everything is a gift from God and every, every gift that we receive must be stewarded God's way. And if we're not handling it God's way, it has a potential to begin to sour our soul and do damage to the life of God that wants to grow in us. Generosity from God is not about you deserving something from God. If you deserve it, it's not a gift. If you earned it, it's not a gift. Everything is this gift from God. You can't earn gifts, you simply receive them. And again, in this parable, we see that the generous act of the landowner to invite someone in to participate, to invite them in to participate in a way that would allow them to grow and experience uh, the blessing that would come from being a vineyard worker. This was the thing that he was inviting them into and they didn't recognize it as a gift and somewhere along the way as the day went on, they began to sour their attitude towards other people and it began to skew their minds towards the landowner. Friends, I, I realize that many people probably have been on the, on the raw end of unmet expectations. Maybe you've worked in an, uh, an environment in your work where uh, you work for, for a boss who maybe seems more stingy than generous. Maybe who wants to make you work for pennies on the dollar and doesn't want to pay you a, a living wage and you feel like you've been passed over for a lot of promotions and your work environment just doesn't seem healthy and it seems toxic and... And you may have been on the raw end of some things. Friends, if we're not careful, we'll allow our experiences on this earth to shape our expectations of a God who's above the earth. 
And if we're not careful, we'll take the same entitlement approach to our God who is loving and gracious and kind and benevolent. And we will start to demand things of God and expect things of God. And our expectation is no longer in the character of God, but rather in the assumption of what we think God should do for us. And we'll start shifting our prayers instead of them being gracious and and awe and reverence and holy before the Lord. We'll start praying things, demanding things of God. And when God doesn't do things that we demand of him, we allow our hearts to sour because we felt we owed something that he maybe didn't give us. And it all is subtle, but it greed grows in our hearts and it sours some things. I want to take for a minute and explore some things in this passage. And I want to help you understand some things. Your job is a gift from God. For those of you who are school age and you're in college or you're in high school or you're in middle school, that's, that opportunity is a gift from God. Here's one of the big truths that I want us to see about the King Jesus gospel from this passage. And that's this, that the King Jesus gospel is an invitation to be an ambassador who is working as unto the Lord. We get to work and steward the skills and the talents and the resources and the energies. We get to do that as unto the Lord. The King Jesus gospel is one big invitation to come and be an ambassador. That everywhere you go, you get to go and represent the kingdom of God in that place. Every place that you go, you get to carry the representation of heaven with you into that space. That you and I are ambassadors who get to, we we say it this way here at Faith Church, that we want to build God's kingdom. That we get to participate in the process through which the vineyard harvests the fruit. That we get to be invited by the landowner to participate in this world in God's goodness and his wholeness and his wonder and his beauty. To be among other people that everywhere we go we get to represent God's kingdom. Our workplace is a gift. Our workplace is sacred when we realize that we get to bring the kingdom of God into that workspace. You might feel like, no, Pastor, you don't understand. The place I work is definitely God forsaken. There is not holiness in that space. I promise you. I don't know. Do you go into that space? Because where you go, God's kingdom wants to go. Where you go, he wants it to become sacred and holy. Why? Not just because you show up, but because you have not lost sight of what it means to be an ambassador. You haven't lost sight of what it means to be an ambassador. But when we lose sight of what it means to be an ambassador, we start showing up to work more entitled than showing up to work as an ambassador. It's interesting. Imagine for a minute uh, that you were an ambassador and I'm an ambassador of this great nation in which we live. And I get to go be an ambassador at Jamaica and suffer for the Lord in such beautiful tropics. And uh, you get assigned to be an ambassador in Latvia in the dead of winter where it's always cold and white on the ground. We both have the same purpose. But if you start comparing your specifics to my specifics, you will lose sight of your purpose. And friends, in our world today, 
in our work environments and our workplaces, if we are not careful, we will start comparing our specifics of our life and our world and our reality to someone else's specifics and someone else's world and someone else's reality, and we begin to lose sight of the purpose for which God sent us there in the first place. And we begin to lose out on the understanding that God has sent us there to give us an ambassador, to bring heaven into that space, to be sacred in that place. And if we're not careful, we can allow this attitude of greed, of fear or entitlement to grow and poison us to where we become terrible employees. To where we start acting more selfishly then we recognize that we're there to serve the king. Look at how Paul writes it in in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, 22 through 24 says this. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Pause right here. Some of you are like, slaves, this is terrible. We don't believe in that. I thought we abolished that. I thought it was gone. Now, now let me understand, give you a glimpse into what's happening in this culture. It's, it's not slavery as you would understand it. In fact, uh, the Bible is also very, very clear as it relates to the mistreatment of people and the abuse of people and the lack of honor of people. And if you look back in our own uh, history, while slavery has been a part of our narrative as a nation, it was the people of God who recognized the truth of God's word, who stood up and fought and said, no, this is not of God. We're going to lead the way in something different. So what's happening? What's the Bible talking about? Well, in uh, ancient Near East, in this time period, whenever you were working, you typically had your own farm, your own land, and you would work and work the crops. But if you had a couple years where your land wasn't producing, and you were at a place where you no longer had the means by which to provide for yourself, you would go to someone else who had more wealth than you, and you would give yourself to them, and often they would bring your entire family in and allow you to now work in in their household, be a a servant in their land, in their house, and they in exchange would give you food and shelter and covering. In other words, they would have you come work for them ongoingly so that you could survive and live. Sounds an awful lot like what you do Monday through Friday, nine to five. Where you say, I'm going to give of myself to this person and someone in a, a benefactor way is gonna help me live and survive. He's talking in our modern day, this would be the equivalent of those of you who are employees, obey your employers. And not just when they're watching you. Not just when you're on the clock. Not just in the moments when you're up for a promotion or not up for a promotion. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Working willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. In other words, hey, when you show up to work, realize you're not showing up to work for a person or a company or an organization, you're showing up to work for the Lord. And that ought to strike the fear of the Lord inside of you. That ought to put a little holy respect inside of you that he's watching your time clock way more than your employer's watching your time clock. 
He's watching your attitude. He's watching your work ethic. He's watching whether or not you're doing this willingly or not. And for the people of God, there was an understanding that it doesn't matter what's happening in our world. We recognize that our minds are to recognize we're here to honor the Lord. We're here to serve the Lord. We're here to do whatever it is that we do. Whatever uh, job that we have on the assembly line in the factory. Whatever we do in the, the farm field. Whatever we do in the bank. Whatever we do clerically. Whatever Whatever we do in the hospital, whatever we do in the school, whatever we do in the education system, whatever we do in society, whatever it is that we do in our world, we're not doing it for people to earn something or to be owed something. We are living with a posture that says, I'm doing this for the king of kings because the King Jesus gospel is an invitation to participate and represent someone stronger, higher, greater, and more wonderful And when we, hear hear me, hear me, hear me. When we lose sight of that purpose, we easily begin to grumble, compare, and complain. And we allow a spirit of entitlement and greed to grow in our hearts. And the poison of greed is detrimental to your soul. We said last week that the end of venom to the poison of greed was, number one, intentional generosity that's systematic, spontaneous, and sacrificial. That intentional generosity really does help you create an antivenom to the poison of greed in your life, and it helps silence fear as you loyally trust God more. But there's a second antivenom to greed, to deal with the second kind of side effect of greed that grows in our life. And this is intentional gratitude that embodies an attitude of stewarding, of stewards who willingly serve others. If you want to make sure that the poisonous side effects of greed aren't growing in you, then you get to be intentionally grateful and embody the attitude of someone who is there to serve others. Later in this chapter, Jesus would look at his disciples and expound a little bit more on this thought to them. And he would tie all of these things together in verse 24 uh, and and verse 25. In verse 25, it says this, but when Jesus called them together, he said this, you know that the rulers of this world lord it all over their people and officials, they flaunt their authority over those that they're over. But among you, as followers of Jesus, as ambassadors in the kingdom, as, as, as apprentices to the ways of Jesus, as followers of him, it will be different among you. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said the whole point of my arrival was to show up and serve in a, in a sacrificial way. And this is the way of Jesus. I, I love that here we are in this season of Advent. Advent means the arrival. Jesus just said the Son of Man arrived for a purpose. One of the reasons and one of the things that arrived when Jesus arrived is the arrival of peace. Advent is the celebration of the arrival of peace. Now, when we say peace, we're not talking about absence of conflict necessarily. 
This word peace is the, the word shalom, which means wholeness, made complete, lacking nothing. There is a sense when God's peace begins to rule and reign in your life and in my life, the broken pieces, the fragmented pieces, the disenfranchised pieces, the things that feel in your own soul and wholeness feel uh, um, tattered and worn and torn apart and full of sadness and sorrow and, and, and feeling lonely and abandoned and sickly. All of that is made whole in Christ. See, the peace that God gives is this sense of wholeness. Everything set right. A, a reaffirming of something that's beautiful and wonderful. Advent is this arrival of his peace. I, I think it's true in our workplaces. Many of us experience that in our workplaces, they sap away our peace. Uh, clinical studies have shown that there are so many stressors in the workplace, things like organizational culture, bad management practices, relationships, long hours, heavy workload, changes within the organization's tight deadlines, changes to, to, to ex expectations, job insecurity, a lack of autonomy, not having the skills that you need to accomplish the job that you've been asked to do, a lack of resources, and then you add in harassment and discrimination, and all of these are just a few of the reasons why some Sometimes our workplaces seem absent of peace and steal away our peace. And when that peace is stolen, things begin to leave and, and we feel broken and unwell and unwhole. And, and we experience impacts of things like fatigue, muscular tension, headaches, heart palpitations, sleeping difficulties, depression, anxiety, discouragement, irritability, pessimism, feeling of being overwhelmed, unable to cope, cognitive difficulties, and inability to make effective decisions. We, we find behavioral symptoms like uh, an increase of sick days aggression, diminished creativity and initiative, a drop in our own workplace performance, problems with interpersonal relationships, mood swings, lower tolerance, and less patience to name a few of the side effects. Some of you are like, yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Is it Friday yet? Can we repeat Friday? Because it gives me a few more days before Monday. How in the world can we experience the arrival of peace in a workplace that seems like it wants to steal our peace? I'll tell you. It's that the Son of Man came. It's that there, there's an arrival of the Prince of Peace who enters and creates a kingdom and invites you into an ambassadorship that shifts your priorities, thoughts, mindsets, and understandings to where when you recognize your purpose as an ambassador, it shifts your purpose in the workplace and you'll begin to experience peace in a new way. Some of you say, Pastor, that sounds really, really good. How, how does that work? Two ways. Number one, peace comes... Through acts of service. I'll say it another way. You can't have peace unless you make peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Not peace wanters. Not peace whiners. Not peace takers. But the peacemakers. Somebody say make it. You got to make peace. How do you make peace? Something has to die. That's how. 
How did Jesus make peace? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought, what's that word? Peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when his own, with his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles. By creating in him one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. The son of man did not come to be served or to act entitled. If ever there was someone who was worthy of it, he chose not to be that. And instead came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Friends as ambassadors in the kingdom of God if we want to walk in the peace of God it will require us to take the posture of a servant if if you want to see the anti-venom of greed and entitlement part of it is taking the posture of one who serves you want to know what the test of a servant's heart is? You want to know if you're living in this way? How do you respond when you're treated like a servant? How do you respond when someone treats you just like a servant? That'll tell you whether or not you have a heart of entitlement. How do you respond when your boss without explanation just says, hey, I need you to do this and do it, do it now? Who does he think he is? Is he like the owner around here? I mean, you said yes. I realize that I'm addressing a room where there are some people who are employers and some who are employees. Most of us are employees in a room. But I want to speak to your heart because whether you realize it or not, your heart posture is impacting your ability to make and receive peace. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but when he says work as unto the Lord and not unto man, he's trying to give you an understanding that, Lord, there's not anything I wouldn't be willing to do. See, I might not feel like I can trust my boss with something. I might feel like he's trying to take advantage of something, but at the end of the day, I'm not really serving my boss. I'm serving my king. And at the end of the day, when I stand before the king, I'm going to give an account of the stewardship of the gift of this opportunity that he gave to me. And my boss is going to stand before God and give account for the gift that I am to him and how he treated me and I ain't worried about that because that's God's deal and not my deal 
And as a boss, that strikes the fear of God in me too. Friends, what, what happened in this parable? They all started letting their, hour, their attitude sour towards the landowner. And often we start approaching God the same way we approach our earthly bosses. And it will sour your soul every time. And you will not experience the life of the flourishing that God longs to see with attitudes of entitlement and greed that grow. Peace comes through acts of service. Here's how peace comes. Number two, peace comes through acts of gratitude. Somebody say gratitude. gratitude. Psalms 100 verse 4 says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Enter his gates with what? Come on, with what? Thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. I do not have a problem. This is going to mess with some of you. I don't have a, I, I say these things. I'm just warning you, it's coming. Just take a deep breath and be ready to have ears to hear. I don't have a problem with people who are like, automatically November hits and they're already thinking about Christmas. I know some of you are like, I can't believe, you, we're trying to skip Thanksgiving? We can't skip Thanksgiving. Christmas is in December. Thanksgiving is in November. And we're here to be thankful. Okay. Cool. Cool. I have much more a problem with people who once Thanksgiving is over, forget to be grateful. That we, the minute Thanksgiving is over, we slip into entitlement and what I'm owed and have I been good enough and what am I getting and where am I, who's doing it for me and what shall we do, right? And we autumn, we forget to live with a heart of gratitude all the time. <laughs> listen, listen, listen. The, if you want peace, you have to be a person of gratitude. Why? Because when you are grateful, you get in the presence of God. And when you're in the presence of God, you are in the presence of Jesus, who is the Prince of And you want to know why you don't have peace at work? It's because you're ungrateful. And you spent so much time complaining. You've missed the opportunity to enter his gates and bring his presence with you. And you forgot that you can take the kingdom of God everywhere you go. And when you do, you're making that space sacred again. Because when we are grateful, the presence of God becomes evident around us and in us and around us. So when you're complaining about school, instead of being grateful at school, you're missing an opportunity to bring the presence of God with you at your school. If you want to have peace, if you want to see peace arrive, show up with the heart of a servant and show up with a heart of gratitude and bless his name. Friends, nothing will soften a hard heart of entitlement like the presence of Jesus. As you magnify him and are grateful to him, you will begin to recognize the grandness of him and the smallness of you. What was it that happened in the parable? The vineyard workers 
lost sight of the goodness of the landowner and they started complaining about what they assumed they were owed. And in the process, their heart and their attitude soured. Friends, that's, that's not what God wants for us. Dr. Darius Daniel says it like this. Gratitude isn't about changing your feelings. Although your feelings can change. Gratitude isn't about changing your feelings. Gratitude is about changing your focus. What are you focused on? Uh, one of my favorite movies is the movie The Count of Monte Cristo. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. Such a great movie. And uh, two of the main characters are Fernand Mondego, who is the son of a count and wealthy, well-to-do person in France. And then Edmond Dantes, a childhood friend of Fernand, who is just basically a son of a merchant, a blue-collar guy, not much to his name in life. And you see the tension early on between these two friends where Fernand is continually jealous and comparing his life with, with Edmond. And Edmond is continually full of contentment and joy. And, and this, this rift and this jealousy and this greed, this attitude of entitlement grows within Fernand Mondego throughout the course of the movie. And there's a phrase that says something like this when asking why all of these things were happening and why all of a sudden things were soured in the relationship. There was this understanding that Edmond was happier with his little whistle that he got than Fernand was happy with the pony that he got. And Fernand makes a statement. He says, I'm the son of a count and you're the son of a merchant and I'm not want to supposed to be you. Friends, when we stop serving, when we stop living with gratitude and we start comparing or complaining, you will stall your growth. The life of God will begin to be stifled in you and it will not flourish the way God longs to see it flourish in you. And that's why he says the first or the last and the last will be first. This, this whole parable is a kickback and a point back to another parable Jesus tells in Luke 15. One of the parables in Luke 15 that Jesus tells is the parable of the prodigal son. Where the second son leaves, takes his inheritance, squanders it on however he wants to live, feeling I'm, I'm wealthy, I'm rich, and just blows it all. Comes to a place where his life feels over, he doesn't have much left, and he comes to himself and is like, this is terrible, I'm, I'm living, and even my servants, the servants in my father's house live better than this. I'm going to go beg and ask my dad if I could just be a hired hand and a servant in his house so that I can have my basic needs met in my life. The Bible says, the parable goes that the son returns and the father kisses and welcomes and forgives him and reinstates him as a son and throws a party and kills the fatted calf. And they, they just have a great time celebrating the return of the second son back into the home and then the firstborn son comes and here's the music and the dancing and the celebration and the joy and becomes indignant. And you begin to see the heart of entitlement that has grown in the son's heart. First or last, last or first. 
for those of you that have been following Jesus for a long time, can I ask you a question? Has your growth stalled? The gratitude and the joy and the honor that you felt just to be in God's presence and to represent him in your world and and the heart change that you experienced, has it stalled out? We, we can get into this comparison, can't we, in the church? How come they get to see God move? How come their prayers are being answered? I've been, I've been on the production team serving for years, and all of a sudden someone new comes in, and they're only here for a little bit of time, and they're not having to run a camera for months and years, and they're getting right onto the stage, and how come they're getting that? And I've been a next step helper. I've been helping meet new guests all the time. I've been doing this for 10 years. I've been here longer than that pastor's been here. I've been serving Jesus in this church, and I'm getting passed over, and nobody's giving me praise and nobody's giving me thanks and other people are getting opportunities and I'm not getting this and I'm not getting that and how come their life is better how come their marriage is growing and my marriage isn't and we start comparing and complaining and it's an indication that our growth has stalled if you want to find peace again If you want to have that wholeness again, if you want to see the life of God flourish and grow in you again, it's about coming back to a place of getting in a heart of a servant to serve others as I'm serving the Lord. And it's it's about growing in my heart and my capacity not to feel entitled about something, but to be grateful about everything. And I'm allowing myself to grow in this place Can I ask you a question? Tomorrow, how are you going to show up to work? Young person, tomorrow, how are you going to show up to your school? Is it going to be a sense of entitlement, a sense of complaining, a sense of, oh, again? Or or are you going to bring peace with you? Are you going to make it sacred again? Are you going to allow the arrival of the kingdom of God to be there because you're arriving there too? The attitude, the, the sense in our heart, the, the posture of our lives, the perspective that we have, that's on us. It's on us. That's a choice we get to make. As I was thinking about the Christmas story and Advent and the arrival of peace, I was, I was thinking about um, I actually came across a, a blog that, that, that Pastor Clayton had shared. And it started talking about the innkeeper. And I started thinking about the innkeeper. You, you know, Mary and Joseph that came into town and man, Mary was well ready to give birth and like, come on, let's get this baby out of here. And like, the baby's coming, the baby's coming. And everybody was showing up back in Bethlehem for the census. They're showing up back in Bethlehem because they needed to, to see, uh, they all had to be there for the census and, and, and all of the rooms in the inns were filled. There was no more hotel space. They're knocking on this door and the Bible doesn't tell us much about this. They just said that, the Bible just simply says there was no room in the inn. But someone showed them to the stable. I, I wonder if that innkeeper showed up like many of us do to work in school and door we're overwhelmed we've got more work to do and more guests and more things that we weren't expecting and we're not getting paid to do this what is happening here I'm, I'm doing way more than it's being expected of me and and they knock on the door excuse me I, yeah we need a room I'm sorry it's not my problem no no but you don't understand my wife's about to give birth and please anywhere kid, kid, I'm sorry all the rooms are filled you sh- your lack of planning is not an emergency on my part bub you need you should have gotten here sooner 
Good luck. Sorry, can't help you. Not my problem. I don't you see how much work I've got to do? I've got all these people that are expecting me to do this and to do that. And I ain't got time for you. I ain't got time to help you. Not my problem. But that, that's probably not the attitude that they had. I, I have a different imagination on this. I think the innkeeper was like, you know what? Man, it's, I'm the owner around here. Not some hired hand. We're, we're here to be in the, the service industry. This is a hotel for hospitality. You know what? I, I don't have any rooms, but you know what I do have? I, I've got this stable over here. Can I, let, let me walk you over there and show you. What, what kind of innkeeper would you have been? Here, 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 here's the space. It's a stable. But the minute the Savior arrived, it was a sacred space. When you bring peace with you, you turn your workspace into a sacred space. Let's be people who bring the Savior, the Prince of Peace with us as we serve and are grateful and we keep greed and entitlement far from our hearts. Let's be those people, amen? Let's stand. We're gonna do two things. Number one, I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit what's he saying to you and then we're gonna together speak blessing over one another for our benediction today. But first, why don't you pause and just close your eyes for a second. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? How did I show up to work? How did I show up to school this last week? Do I need some anti-venom of greed in my own heart to become intentionally generous again? Become intentionally grateful? Have an attitude of a servant again? Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us through your word. We want to honor you. And we don't want to forget our purpose as ambassadors in your kingdom. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see you in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.